Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we continue our series, Mixed Messages, and uh, the series introduction I've shared with you each time, uh, you can find it there on your outline. How does a follower of Jesus identify truth in a fallen world of mixed messages? Now, I've chosen these words very carefully, especially the phrase follower of Jesus. You see, I think most of us know that uh, following Jesus is more than just believing certain things. It's literally following him following him and what he's revealed about God, following him and who he says he is, following him in the truth in which he portrays. Now, the obvious answer to this question is God's word and what the follower of Jesus believes about it. You see, so many times, I sometimes will come across people who say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and, and they set it up, and they have a beautiful testimony, and then you begin to talk with them, and then they really, sometimes they don't believe the Bible the way many followers of Jesus believe the Word. And really, it really comes down to this. Is it, is God's Word, is it truly what it says it is? I personally believe it is. And I believe if we believe it like it's written and we believe it as God's intended and his revealed word, it will be different than what we're hearing in our society. And Jeremy alluded to that in just a moment. And so we are continuing and actually finishing up this series, Mixed Messages. The first week we looked at that regarding government, and then we moved on to truth. And then a couple weeks ago, Mixed Messages about life itself and the protection of life. Last week, we began that whole idea of uh, regarding marriage. What does the Bible say about marriage? And this morning, because I'm so long-winded, we're finishing that up real quickly before we move into the fourth part of this, or fifth part of this series. Last week, we looked at the establishment of marriage. We see in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 2, that God created marriage. He created it. In the New Testament, we fast forward to the New Testament, and, and Jesus himself affirms what's mentioned in, in Genesis chapter 2, that a man shall leave his, his, his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Jesus affirmed that. In Matthew chapter 19, Paul comes along and he affirms the roles of gender in Ephesians chapter 5. And then we made our way to what we consider the enemies of God. The enemies of God and we, excuse me, of, of marriage, excuse me, the enemies of marriage. And we saw the who and we see that the deceiver is against marriage. If, if you look at marriage right now, it's, it is on, it's being attacked from every angle. And the enemy, as we see in Genesis chapter 3, we saw him as his first attack on the first marriage, and it continues to today. And then there's the selfish. That's probably us when we think about it, the selfish. And then we went from the who to the what. We talked about how cohabitation is really, when you think about it, an enemy of marriage because it's not what God intends. Homosexuality falls into that category, and we looked at these last week. And then today, I want us to look at the last enemy of marriage, and it's, of course, divorce, divorce. Now, first of all, let me say this before we go any further. I realize that when, when it comes to divorce, everyone is a victim. And, and, and many of you, I, I know in a room this large, and I know some of your personal stories, I know that's part of your history. I know that's part of where you are today, that divorce was back there. Every divorce has its own story, and we're not here to place blame or pile on more guilt. That's not the intention of this. But the thing that I want to challenge those who are here today is the great theologian Gary Marburger basically says... <laughs> 
He, he basically says, stay married to the person you're with. Stay married to the person you're with. Great advice. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 2, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates divorce. I haven't met many people who have gone through a divorce who, who doesn't come out on the other end of it and say they do too. They do too because it's more than they expected. But here's where we're getting the mixed message. Our culture teaches that if you're not happy in your marriage, get out. This life is too short. It's too short not to be happy, so get out, try again. If this life was all that was, that may make sense, but it's not. A recent survey revealed that divorce frequently fails to make people happy because while it might provide a respite from the pain associated with a bad marriage, it also introduces a host of complexities. New emotional and psychological difficulties over which the parties involved have little control. They include child custody battles, emotionally scarred children, economic hardship, loneliness, and possibly future romantic disappointments. Divorce is not the answer or solution that many people think it is. Happiness does not come from running, but remaining committed to God and your spouse. Stay married to the person you're with. So the application from last week is this. It is important that the follower of Jesus know how to counter the mixed messages of our day with the truths of God's word. And really the question comes down to this as it relates to what we said last week. Are you willing and able to take the word of God and stand against the secular worldviews to protect your marriage and the future of your children? Are you willing to do that? You see, the key is not to find all your happiness. Listen, that marriage many times, it, how many of you agree in marriage, there are seasons where it does not deliver? There's seasons. My wife will tell you that. There's times where I get selfish. There's times where we become deceived about the mixed messages of the world. And, and, but here's what we need to understand. It's worth fighting for the marriage on behalf of others in your life. So again, we're not here to place blame or pile on guilt. We're just saying stay married to the one that God has brought into your life. So, to now we turn our attention, mixed marriages regarding, excuse me, mixed messages regarding salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the introduction. In our world, there are many mixed messages regarding salvation as it relates to someone's eternal destiny. And it's that whole idea of heaven or hell. Now, I want you to think about this. When it comes to salvation, I want you to think of all the different mixed messages that you have heard as it relates to salvation. There's all kinds of things out there. As a matter of fact, if I were the enemy, this is probably where I would probably try to do my most damage, to deceive people in their eternal destiny, to, to keep people from glorifying and honoring and worshiping God in this age. And, and that's where many people are. But when it comes down to it, it's really just... Spelled out in one verse in Scripture. In John 14, 6, Jesus plainly said, I mean, it can't get any clearer than this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, according to the secular worldview of our society, this is the most intolerant statement a person could ever make. Yet Jesus made this claim himself. He made it himself. When Jesus said he was the way, the word way in this passage is the same Greek word for road. 
It's the same Greek word for road. So, in fact, other translations have having Jesus saying, I am the road to get to God. I am the road to heaven. And that's what, exactly what Jesus was saying. It's through me. So what are the road signs along the road of a secular worldview? It, for those who do not accept the claims of Jesus, what he says about himself, and so we enter into this secular idea of what the world says, what do they say? What are the signs along the way? So secular worldview signs. The first one we're going to look at is merge, the idea of the merge sign. Two lanes coming into one, though they were separate, they come together and they end up in the same place. It's a picture of our society today where you have all different religions and all different faiths that merge into one. So it doesn't matter what you really believe because it, they all end up in the same place, meaning all have equal claim on the truth. Now, let me just say this. I, that's not logical. It's not logical. The idea for this is called pluralism. Pluralism is a secular worldview that basically says, that, as it pertains to religions, that all religions are basically true and all paths lead to a creator, God, and heaven. All paths lead there. You just pick one and sincerely follow it. So the test is not truth, but sincerity. So what does this look like in our culture? According to a survey entitled, What Americans Believe, two-thirds of American adults said when a Christian, a Buddhist, and a Muslim pray, they are all actually praying to the very same God. All religious paths end up in the same place. Two out of three Americans say this. Let me prove to you why this cannot be true and why it makes no sense. Some religions teach that when you die, this is all there is. You just cease to exist. Other religions teach that when you die, you entered into nirvana, a state of consciousness. Others teach reincarnation. You just keep coming in back until you get it right. While others teach that you go to a certain destination. Some would call it a place of paradise or a place of punishment. These beliefs are not the same. They're not even close. So how can one say all faiths are true, faiths are true, and all present, all, and all present truth when it comes to the afterlife? As we said last week, 19th century American psychologist William James once said, there's no idea so absurd that if repeated often enough will eventually come to be believed. We're seeing that everywhere. Peter is being questioned by the Jewish leaders when he says, speaking of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And of course, he's speaking of Jesus. The Bible clearly records that Jesus is the only way, the only path, the only road to heaven. There are no merge signs on the road to heaven. Another secular worldview sign that we see on this road is men at work. Men at work. Many people believe, and most religions teach, that the way you get to heaven is by a road that you work your way down. If you do enough good things, eventually you're going to make it. Most all religions teach that salvation is about what you do. However, Christianity is different with this as in this aspect. All of the world's religions, you need to catch this, 
all of the world's religions are a do relationship, except Christianity. As it relates to salvation, it is a done relationship, meaning Jesus has done the work of salvation. It's now just a matter of us believing and receiving that good news. However, other religions say you must work towards salvation to be acceptable to God. You can really see the distinctions between do and done when you look at different stories told by various faiths. For example, the Buddhist literature basically has almost the same story that we find in Luke chapter 15. You remember the story of the prodigal son? It's very interesting that, they, that both religions have a very similar story, except for at the very end, it ends quite differently. You see, what you find in Luke chapter 15, you find a son that goes out, he, he goes to his father, he asks for what's he is, what he's entitled to, he takes his father's gift, he goes and he squanders it. He wakes up and he's basically in the pig pen of life, and, and there's nowhere to turn other than to go back to his father. And so as he's making his way back to his father, can you imagine what's going through his mind and what he's probably thinking? He's probably thinking, man, when I see my father, I got to really put it out there. Maybe he's thinking, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I've squandered everything you've given me. Just, Just make me one of your servants. But how does the story end? The father sees the son coming from a distance, and what happens? He takes off after his son. He wraps his arm around his son. He welcomes his son back, and he he continues the relationship. And it's actually the Father represents the God of heaven reaching out to us, saying, it's done, it's done, Come, come unto me. He basically said, hey, let's have a party. My son who was lost is now home. Do you know what the Buddhist story is? Very similar story. It's basically when the son returns, there are certain things the Father wants the son to do to earn back the trust and the acceptance. It's a do religion instead of a done religion. You see, Christianity is so different. There's a big difference between these stories. And and the the place we pull this from, where we build this whole theology, is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. He says, Paul says, And you he made alive. Okay, the idea of being made alive, he, he, he spiritually makes you alive. That means you be, uh, the only way that happens is you're acceptable before God. He says, you, he's made alive. He's brought salvation to your heart. You were dead in trespasses and sins. There was not a thing you could do about your situation. Verse 2, in which you once also walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were not only dead, there came a point where we were deceived by our society. We were disillusioned by the enemy. We were in a pitiful place. Among whom, verse 3, also, we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, and of the mind, and were nat- by nature children of wrath just as the others. We, we would have deserved the wrath of God upon our lives. We were a mess. Verse 4, first two words, what do we like see there? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, how many of you are glad he's rich in mercy? Because of his great love, how many of you love his great love? Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, when there was nothing we could do about it, he made us alive together with Christ. 
How? By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about how far he brought us. He, think about it. This is why we refer to Christianity, Christianity as a done faith, a done faith, a done religion. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us by, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. There's nothing you could have done about it. It was a gift of God, not of worthless any man should boast. And then I love this part. For we are his workmanship. He took us from where we were to where we are. And what does he say? We're not only here existing, we, we are, we're seated in the heavenlies. That, that means there's just something about this life that overshadows everything about this life, about who we are in Christ. But here it doesn't end. We are his workmanship. There's something he's trying to do in and through us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when you begin to look at Christianity, it's not about earning our way. It's accepting the gift. It's accepting the gift of Jesus. Next, another sign that we find along the secular worldview path is the wrong way sign. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 25, there is a way that seems right to a man. There's a way that seems right to a person. I mean, they probably, when they look at it, they're convinced in and of themselves, this is the right way, this is the right path. And, and if it's totally contrary to the Word of God, here's what it says about it. It ends in the way of death. It is a path that leads to destruction. It is a path that leads to death. So when we say to people that are going the wrong way, how many of you notice that most people feel defensive? And many feel we're attacking them. What happens when you say Jesus is the only way? Notice the hostility to a message of love. The views that they have concerning us are considered bigoted, ignorant, hateful. Many would say we're unenlightened. I've heard that recently. You're still living back in those other days when this was that. And this, listen, I'm satisfied when this was this and this was that. That's where, that's where the truth is coming from. Now we move from the secular worldview signs to the biblical worldview signs. And the first one that we find is dead end, the dead end sign. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, And as it is appointed for men or people to die once, but after this, the judgment. You, you know what literally this is talking about? Without Jesus, all life ends in a dead end. In a dead end. Next, we see another road sign. It's road narrows. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe is the greatest sermon ever preached. Listen to, to part of what he was trying to say. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. There's many who are falling for that. There are many who are deceived, disillusioned, and they bought into the wrong messages, the mixed messages of our world. And then he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You see, when we read this passage in Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus is talking about the way, he's talking about this path. You see, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, it tells me, it lends itself to this idea that we are followers of Jesus. 
We are following the path that he has for us. Whether you're talking about the path of salvation or the path of the good works that he's planned for us and the plans and the purposes that he has for us. You see, the Bible, as we already said, we're his workmanship. We, we, are, that per, we are that who he is doing a great work in and through us. Another sign along the road of a biblical worldview is one way, one way. I want you to hold your place here. I want you to see it for yourself. John chapter 14, if you'll turn there. And as you turn, I want you to listen to this. Someone once said this, truth by definition excludes that which contradicts it. How many of you get that? How many of you, if someone says, this is truth, everything else, for that to be a logical statement, for that to be true truth, anything that contradicts it has to be what? False. Has to be, right? One plus one is what? Two. It's just as real as that thought. And so truth, by definition, excludes that which it contradicts. So if there is a truth that you believe is right, and if there is something that contradicts it, then that has to be the wrong way or an untruth, or you're believing the wrong truth or what's considered a truth. You see, there's a traditional tolerance which says this. This is what tolerance used to mean. I can value and accept somebody even without agreeing with their beliefs or their behaviors. Can I give you a modern definition of tolerance? Now, you, to, to be tolerant, you have to agree with them. You have to agree with them. You got, you got to say, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. But guess what? If you're holding to a truth over here, which I hope is a biblical worldview, which is biblical, the biblical truth, and someone is acting contrary to that, then you can't agree with them. You're violating your own conviction. You're violating what you hold as truth. And that's how words evolve, and we've seen them evolve. You see, what we said before, listen to this. This is what it used to mean. I can value and accept someone even without agreeing with their beliefs or their behaviors. Did you know that Jesus modeled this type of tolerance? Jesus was a Jewish man, but listen to this. He spoke freely and respectfully to a Samaritan woman. He ate with tax collectors. He touched lepers. He, he healed the daughter of a Gentile woman. Jesus' tolerance, listen, would have been taboo for a Jewish man in his day, but Jesus never sacrificed truth for tolerance. Understand that. When Jesus talked to the woman who was called in the act of adultery, he also said to her, go and sin no more. It, it wasn't that he had to agree with her lifestyle. He wasn't called. No, he accepted her. He loved her. He reached out to her. And yet he said, go and sin no more. There's a big difference than what we're seeing in our world today. Jesus balanced, and this is so key. Jesus balanced the uncompromising truth with unconditional love. It is possible. It is possible to do that. Just as we saw last week, as I've already said, the new modern definition of tolerance is that every individual's beliefs, values, and lifestyle are equally valid, and all truth is relative. To be truly tolerant in our society today, you have to be able to say that your truth is just as true for you as mine is for me. Is this really possible? Can both really be true? 
Tolerance says you must agree with what I say, but love says I must tell you the truth, even if it may be offensive, because I care, because I believe the truth will set you free. John chapter 14, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is there with his disciples. Jesus has basically just told them, guys, I'm just going to be the one to tell you. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And he's basically trying to comfort them. And, and, and here's what he says. He says, let, let not your heart be troubled. Verse 1, you believe in God, believe also in me. I'm the, he basically in some other places in Scripture and even here he's saying, I'm the exact representation of God. I am his revelation. And when you see his word, you see me as the embodiment of that word. That's what he's saying. He says, you believe in me, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Notice how verse 3 starts, and if I go. Some translations may even say, since I go. But when you look at it, if I go, it's not a matter if Jesus is tr still trying to discern whether he wants to go and create a place for us. No, that's going to happen. He's already said it was going to happen. The thing is, are we ready to go? Are we believing? Are we believing he is the embodiment of truth? Are we believing he is the embodiment of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of God's revealed revelation? He goes on, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then our friend Thomas. How many of you love Thomas? Thomas is the guy sitting there willing to ask the question that we probably wish was asked. And Thomas said this, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It's one way. Another sign along the road of a biblical worldview is the U-turn sign. The U-turn. You see, it's not enough that truth is out there. It's not enough that, that we're called to believe a certain truth. That truth that we're believing in, that we're looking at, we're going to see in just a minute, just a minute is a heart truth. It's something that, that we take to heart that changes every aspect about us. Changes everything. That's what repentance is. It's that idea of change. There's something that get, is getting ready to happen. Luke chapter 13, he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, just as Jesus you will all likewise perish. Acts 3.19, I love it. I love this verse. Repent, therefore. Change direction. Change perspective. Change what you have always known for something that God has for you. Repent, therefore. Be converted. Be converted is the actual idea that let your repentance be demonstrated. And it will convert who you are. That your sins, as a, your sins will be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. To live out a biblical worldview, we must make a U-turn on the road we're on. And then this, our last sign along the way of a biblical worldview is an entrance sign. Jesus and heaven are not really, are, are not just exclusive to some people. How, how many of you are grateful for that? It's for all. I want to read to you the place where it cannot get any clearer. In Romans chapter 10, many of you memorized some of these verses. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says this, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, the word confess literally means where two parties come together and agree upon something, that you believe what God says about himself. Y'all are coming together. We believe that. And believe in your heart. Notice it says heart. By the time something filters through your mind and lands in your heart, it's transformative. It's something that transforms. And that's the implication that he has here. That you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, there it is, it's transformative. One believes into righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He won't turn his back on him. For there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile or Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whosoever or whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's available to all. If we were to look over here in our society and say, okay, this is just for a select few, and, and I hope you'll come for you who are just a select few, that would be one thing. But Jesus is saying this, this truth that, that I'm the embodiment of, that I'm the way to heaven, is open to all, no matter what your race is. No matter what your race is, no matter who you are, it's available to all. The bottom line is this. Jesus is the way to heaven. Not based on someone's opinion, but based on God's word. How many of you have ever tried to share your faith and basically share the fact that Jesus is the only way? And them just to look at you and say, well, that's just your opinion. Is it really just your opinion? No, it's the opinion of Jesus. He himself said it. It's amazing when you think about it. So here's the application. Which road are you on? What are the signs saying? Do, this, do the signs reveal a secular worldview or a biblical worldview? Whatever path you're on, a secular road, you begin to see all the signs, you begin to buy into those mixed messages, those mixed signs out there, or are they biblical? Based on the authority of God's word, one leads to death that is eternal death, while the other leads to life, which is eternal life. The Bible clearly says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't buy into the secular viewpoint. Don't buy into the secular mindset. Don't look at its mixed messages and take them to heart. He sa- but he says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that the reality of God and his ways, his purposes, his plans will show up in your life. And that's so beautiful, the way Jeremy put his testimony this morning. He basically shared this, that it became a reality to him. The peace of God came over him because he began to see his life in the context of God and what his desires were for him. Now, Here's what we need to understand between the secular worldview and the biblical worldview. They're moving in different directions. They're moving in different directions. And also, the Bible says this. They're literally at war with one another. How many of you see that playing out in our world today? They're at war, they're at war with one another. So I want to close this whole series. I've got just enough time to do it. I'm so proud of myself. I'm finishing close to time. I want you to look here on the screen. A secular worldview of life. Listen to what it says. You can read along. 
I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It is just foolish to think that there is a God with a cosmic plan, that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing to the pain and suffering in the world. It is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of my sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose in a world with no God. There is freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think that I'm lost and in need of saving. How many of you kind of hear that through what you're seeing? Now, let me tell you something very interesting about what we just read. If you reverse the sentences and reverse the thoughts, the very same words, reverse it, and you'll have a biblical worldview. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think everything is fine, but with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The happier you will be, the more you'll have is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I'm deserving of hell. The idea that without eternal consequences, people can do as they please is only wishful thinking. However, it is a comforting thought to the pain and suffering in the world that brings redemption and healing. That an all-powerful God, that there is a God with a cos cosmic plan, is, is, it is just foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Isn't that clever? How someone wrote it and then you reverse it and you have the opposite of it. So really it comes down to this. This whole five-week series comes down to this. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? I can tell you that Jesus said one of those paths is going to lead to abundant life. The other path, destruction. And that destruction is accompanied by, and this is what we're seeing in our world, disillusionment and deception. I've tried very carefully to show you the major deceptions that we're seeing in our world every day the last five weeks. And I've also tried to show you and demonstrate to you that those mixed messages can be cleared up by one truth, the truth that's found in God's Word. That's what's important. So here's what I want you to do. Before you leave here, again, we're, we, the idea of invitation is something we feel like we can't do because of all this, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to really think through what's been offered here, especially this morning about salvation. And if you're doubting your salvation, if you, if you believe that basically if I just try harder, do more, God will accept me in some way, if you're trusting in that for your salvation, you're on the wrong path. That's not the way it happens. Any other religion, you'd be fine to follow with that mind of thinking, but not Christianity, not with what God's provided through Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you a question. I want to I beg you to do this. Before you leave here today, talk to me about that. I'd love to take you and show you a little more about what God wants for you. Or email me this week. Just let me know what you're dealing with, and I'll be glad to come alongside of you and help you through your journey as you discover who you are in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for your word. 
We thank you that through all the mixed messages that are out there, there's a message that comes through loud and clear, and that is your word. And Father, for some reason, uh, to see how how the truth of your truth has been attacked and, and hated only, for me, only proves even more that it's the right truth. That we do live in a world where our flesh wants what it wants. We do live in a world where there's an enemy that's striking people to, to bring about destruction and deception and disillusionment. Father, help us to find the road, the road, the path that leads to heaven. And help us to know that it only comes through your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.